Amen. Wonderful worship here this morning. And it's good to see you here. Merry Christmas Eve to all of you. And if you're traveling, we pray for your safety as you travel. And uh, maybe, um, maybe this is your first time in a long time or you're new here this morning. You're in seeing family. And uh, I'm Pastor Lucas Cunningham. And so this is my first Christmas here at Springboro. So glad to have Christmas with you. Um, if you'll turn over in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to open this up <clears throat> starting in verse 1, and if we'll all stand together in the, as we honor God's word here this morning, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, <clears throat> and it reads, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About the time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw the star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. For you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for all my people in Israel. Out of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time which a star first appeared. And then they, he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I'm, I can go and worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went away. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when he saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it was time to leave. They returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Let us pray. Father. Thank you for this time that we can come together as a church family and to worship you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that you didn't have to come down, but because you love us, because you saw us in our sin, because you knew we needed a Savior, we needed to be forgiven. That you came, dwelt among us, came willingly, lived a sinless, perfect life, and went to the cross, taking our place, taking our shame, taking our punishment, and dying for us. Now because of this gift, this gift of salvation you offer all to mankind, that we can be saved. Anyone who will repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in you can be changed, can be changed by you, We never will be the same. We love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this week we're looking at the question that the wise men asked, and it really brings up the question, who were these wise men anyway? 
who were they? It just says that they came from the east. The Bible also calls these men the Magi. The Magi were kind of a combination of philosophers, scientists, astronomers. They often were quite wealthy, and uh, they were well-educated. These weren't just um, you know, some uneducated men who were just guessing. They saw something. They knew something. We don't know much about the star other than God gave it as a sign, gave it as a symbol, more than a symbol, but it was really there. It guided them. It showed them where to go. It seems that these men of that day, these magi, were kind of the the Plato's, the Aristotle's of their day. And uh, they were a combination of scientist, philosopher, astronomer, and intellect. They were kind kind of a Renaissance people. That's what we only really know about them. Now, the Bible says they came from the Far East. Now, there are some who believe that could have been just a couple miles away. I think they came a little further than that. Some believe, hey, it could have been even from China. That's Far East from Israel. It could have been from modern-day Iraq in that area. In fact, some think, and I tend to lean this way, that that we know just from the Old Testament with Daniel, who was in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, that he had a great influence in that pagan culture in which he lived. And that these men had come to faith. They also had studied astronomy. They, knew, they, they saw something unusual. They also knew the prophecy in the book of Daniel. They had a little bit of an idea of um, maybe when this Savior, this Messiah, might just be born, and when they saw the sign, they decided to pursue it. We don't know exactly, but we know this, is that they came, that they were seeking, and they wanted to know, they wanted to see the Messiah. They had come to worship. So here's a question. What made the wise men wise? First off, what made them wise was this, is they were seekers of the truth. They weren't just interested in opinions. They weren't interested in just what you thought. They were seekers of the truth. They wanted to know what the truth was. And wise men and wise women still today, they seek the truth. Not just opinions, not just what someone's feeling like. The truth doesn't care about our feelings. It doesn't. But today, in our world today, there are many who but replace the truth with their feelings. And their feelings easily get hurt. Or they're not feeling, they're feeling this way today, so this must be the truth. They're feeling this different way the next day, so this must be the truth. But truth doesn't work that way. Truth doesn't care about our feelings. The truth is the truth. And wise men and wise women will seek the truth. And so they asked this question, where is the baby who was born the king of the Jews? They were seeking Jesus. They were seeking him. Today, wise men, wise women still seek Jesus. They seek Jesus even when those who are in political power or those in local political power or wherever they're at may not be seeking for him, but they seek him. They're not worried if everyone else is seeking them. There's some things that we might try, that we, we might even try uh, doing because we get caught up in the excitement and, um, of maybe, maybe it's a sports team. Some of you became maybe um, uh, 
a, a, a fan of a certain team out east that just killed us yesterday because your family, you're influenced by your family. And maybe your family is a loving, godly family, but no family's perfect. And that's your problem. You don't feel bad for us at all today. I get it. But wise men and wise women still seek him. You see, there really are only two types of people. There are spectators and there are seekers. Seekers want to get down to what is the truth. Spectators, they, they just guess about the truth. They, they just wonder. They make assumptions. They will say things like, well, I think God is like this. Or um, my God is like this. You just kind of wonder. You kind of use the, um, um, the buffet kind of rule. Now, I, I was living, I'm from here, right? But I was living in South Carolina, in Florence, South Carolina. And wonderful people. I, w- I will tell you this. I know where the buffet capital of America is at. It's in Florence, South Carolina. They love their buffets. There's a buffet on every corner next to a church. Just in a coincidence, I'm sure. <laughs> and what some people do when it comes, when they're a spectator, is they will walk through when it comes to spirituality, and they will go, ooh, I like that. Da-ding. And they'll pick that up, and they'll put it on their plate. They'll come to another item and go, ooh, that's a little strong. Not really feeling that one. It's the truth. Yeah, probably so, but it's not real popular. And it may make some people feel uncomfortable. I'm going to skip that one. And you go to the next one. You go, ooh, I like this one a little bit more. And you put that on your plate. And you just kind of skip and pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. And you end up making your own personal spirituality and going, that's what spectators do. A seeker goes, I want to know what God says about it what he is clear about, and I want to put that on my plate. I want to seek what is the truth. It doesn't mean I know everything. It doesn't mean that I'm going to stop seeking, that I'm going to stop stop learning. In fact, it's been said that, that, that not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. And Christian. Uh, we are all leading somebody. If you're a mom or a dad, you're leading those little kids. You need to be learning. You need to be seeking. Always be seeking how you can lead your family. But as people, regardless of what age you are, we are called to be seekers. Seekers of the truth. And as Christians, we believe God's word is true. And we believe that God has revealed himself to us through his word, through creation, through some of the different things that we have that you can't really measure. You ever know some of the best things in life really are free? Kindness, love, gentleness. In fact, we end up looking at the fruits of the Spirit. You realize some of the best things in life, they really are free, and they're from God, given to us to experience, to enjoy, to practice. And so... When it comes to spectators and it comes to seekers, spectators love to argue. They love to discuss. They love to talk about God. They love to go in circular reasoning and round and round about, and, and they never really make a decision. They just kind of speculate. And as soon as maybe something they don't like 
is on their plate, they'll take it off or they'll get a new plate and they'll go, they'll go through the buffet line again and they will figure out what they now want to have. So what made them so wise? Well, they asked questions. They asked questions. That's what wise men and women do. They studied. They obviously had studied the text because they knew that a Savior was going to be born. They watched what was happening around them. They saw the star. They're alert. They're looking for signs. They're looking to do whatever it takes to find the answers. These wise men were wise because they sought the truth. They sought the truth. And they were willing to ask questions. You know, I think every church should be a place where people feel comfortable asking questions. And I just want you to know, like, we're okay with you asking questions. It doesn't mean we know everything. We don't. But when you have a question, um, we, we, should, we need to listen to it. We learn from other people. I had a Bible professor in seminary. He would always say this. And Dr. Sewell, he's with, he's with Jesus now. He would say, um, when you have a question, ask this question. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And that should lead us as Christians to follow and find what the truth is. You know what, Satan, he'll ask a question too. He started with Adam and Eve, and he started with Eve there in the beginning, there in Genesis. This is what he really says. He says, did God really say? That's what he does. So we have a spiritual battle that's always going on. God said this, what does the Bible say? And we have enemy who says, did God really say? He loves to always plant that seed of doubt in so many minds. So many minds. And the amount of information that we have available in our fingertips is unbelievable today. But it is a double-edged sword. Because there are so many who, they stop seeking, they just read it on social media, and they just take it at face value. They didn't seek it. It was just thrown in their face. You see, you shouldn't take my word for it. You should dig in. Find the truth of God's word. And be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you follow on social media. Some people are great. Some people have wonderful um, truths that help build your faith, that, that help you. And there are some, though, who are deceptive. There are some who just want to bring down faith, that just want to say and mimic Satan, maybe just in a different way, that go, yeah, but did God really say? Now, my message today isn't about the um, reliability of the Bible, but no doubt there's some here right now when I mention that God's word is truth, that goes against the grain of your value system in your life. And you'll probably have heard different things, watching on social media from and I talked about this a couple weeks from some of the different false pagan gods. It seems like every Easter um, or every Christmas, there's always the Christmas is pagan idea, which is interesting enough. I'm not going to tackle that today. It's, it's really, well, I grew up on a farm. We call that hogwash, all right? And so you're just believing what you just read something quickly as you scrolled. Your 10-second scroll, and you're like, oh, that must be true, and you're on to the next thing, like... You see, the wise will ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. We're not saying that, hey, you shouldn't investigate. No, a wise person investigates. They want to know the truth. 
You see, what made the wise men so wise? They were willing to go to any lengths to find it. Here's what's ironic. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, six miles away are the religious leaders. There is Herod. There are the, I mean, probably the best of the best scrolls that you could ever need right there. They had them. And yet, here are the wise men who had come from afar. They had come from afar, and they were the ones seeking to worship Jesus, but those who should have known didn't know. In fact, when you go back and you read, it says in verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Kind of like the old saying, if mama isn't happy, nobody's happy. Well, King Herod, he was a psycho. Go back. He like, killed a couple of his wives. He even killed one or two of his sons. He was psychotic. He really was. And so when he heard that there was someone being born that um, was going to take over, he did not like that. In fact, he had, he had um, uh, uh, many of the babies in, there in Bethlehem, two years and, and, and younger, who were males, killed. In fact, you can go to the place in Jerusalem, and, and it's underground, and you can find a YouTube video on it if you'd like. It's, it's out there. And where they buried these children who were killed. He was a psycho. And everyone in Jerusalem was disturbed by this. So he calls a meeting. And the leading priest and teachers, not just anyone, the leading ones. The leading priests, the leading teachers of religious law, like <clears throat> they, they knew. They knew what Micah 5 2 says, or where, the, where the, the, the Christ child, the Messiah, would be born. And yet they weren't ready. Yet they missed it. And they were waiting for this Messiah to be this political, military leader, like an Alexander the Great who would come in and defeat the Romans. And Herod's like, nah, this, we're not going to have this. I'll kill him before he grows. That's one of the reasons the Jewish people rejected Jesus. He came to bring a spiritual kingdom, not a political one. And they didn't like that. That's not what they wanted. And so these men were willing to go to great lengths to find it. They were willing to travel. It cost them something. There are many people who want to follow Jesus, but they don't want it to cost them anything. Like, Jesus, I want all the benefits. I, 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 I like the, the presence, but I don't want it to cost me anything. In fact, Jesus had a crowd following him, and he looked at the crowd, and he said, unless you hate your mama, your daddy, and went on down the line, you cannot follow me. Now, he really wasn't saying you need to go hate your mother. Don't go, don't go to Christmas dinner tomorrow and go, hey, you know what? Pastor Lucas said, I need to hate you. Dad, mom, you know, stepdad, maybe, I don't know, maybe you hate him, I don't know. But no, don't hate anybody. But it was as in comparison of your love for Christ, the comparison should be almost the distance between love and hate. He was saying that when you follow me, and he also turned the crowd and said, hey, you need to count the cost of following me. That if you're going to build a building, 
You're going to count the cost. You're going to see if you have enough money to complete the building. You're going to see if you need to borrow more money. You're going to see if you need to do this or do that. Jesus made it clear. Don't follow me until you have count the cost. And there's some, maybe right here, right now, you said a little prayer, which is great. I'm all for praying. I'm all for repenting. I'm all for getting on our knees and praying and asking Christ to save us. And that is as simple as a little prayer. Absolutely. Absolutely prayed in faith. But the idea that you can pray a little prayer and then continue to live just like someone who's out of church or who's following the devil lives and that you're no different from them, what are you doing? What are you doing? You are fooling yourself. That's what you're doing. You're fooling yourself. And I'm here to tell you in a, in, in a loud, loving way, all right? <laughs> and I, I think that what makes me so passionate, I've grown up in church. I don't remember the first time I went to church. And that's a, I understand for some, that's a, I, I didn't realize that was a privilege. Some of you, like, you didn't start going until you were an adult, and, and that's fine. But when you see some of the fakeness in Christianity, and you grow up in church, but you also see some of the goodness and the grace and, the, and how awesome God is, you, you see a lot of the both. You know what I'm saying? And you can, as you grow, you can veer towards the one or the other. And, and when, when people claim that I want to follow Jesus but I really don't want it to cost me anything. I, I'm, just, I'm just letting you know, like, that is a fake salvation. That is, a, that is a different Jesus than what you read in the Bible. And that's really what you want to call that is really a form of idolatry of making your own God like your own spiritual buffet. That's really what that is. When we make our own spiritual buffet, we're practicing idolatry which is one of the Ten Commandments, that we shouldn't have any gods before him, that we shouldn't create a, a you know, and it, like, that's idolatry. And so many do it, and they don't even realize it. But when we read the Word of God, we hear the Word of God, and when we get, I guess you could say, crooked in our life spiritually, the Word of God is straight. It's true. And when it's sit next down and put down next to us, we see how crooked we are at times. That's why we need God's word. That's why we need to be in God's word. And the Holy Spirit uses it to lead us and to guide us and to show us and to steer us in the right direction. Jesus wasn't just interested in saving you so you could go to heaven. That's a part of it. Jesus was interested in saving you so you could be used to further the kingdom of God, to share the gospel, to build up the body of believers, and be faithful in doing so. He saved you for a purpose, not just so you could go to heaven, but for a purpose, for a reason. Our lives are bigger than just we'll live, we'll, we'll, we'll die, and we go on. But what did you do for Christ in the time in which God gave you? You see, these men, they were willing to go great lengths to find the truth. Are you? You, gotta, you have to go deeper than just scrolling through Facebook to find the truth that I'm talking about. 
You need to dig into God's word. You need to study. And these men did just that. You see, these wise men, what made them so wise is they didn't stop until they met Jesus. And that's what made them wise. You know, pastoring a couple different churches, being in church, um, there's things that change as we age, no question. There may be some ministries that are not, well, we're not passionate about anymore. But I always love to see, of any age, people serving Jesus. But I tell you, we have some senior adults in our church. They just keep serving Jesus. And you can tell what their mindset is. They're going to keep serving Jesus until they meet Jesus, one way or another. Amen? That is a testimony. That is a testimony. Um, I don't want to sound mean, but I'm going to say it. Don't be a used to beer. Now, there may be certain things you used to do that you can't do any longer. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. Things change. I, I get that. And, and maybe there's, there's some things that, that physically have changed. And like, like, I get that. But never become a used to beer. Well, I used to serve Jesus. Now I'm just not interested in serving Jesus. I used to pray. I used to teach. I used to do this. I used to do that. Don't be a used to beer. Keep going. These wise men, a wise woman, a wise man, they're not going to stop until they meet Jesus. And in verse 11, verse 11, it says, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother. And they didn't stop until they got to Jesus. You see, a lot of people start off in life and they'll ask, what is, what is my purpose? They'll ask, who is, who is God? How do I get to know him? What is life truly all about and then somewhere along the line they they get off course maybe it's when they went to college maybe it's when they started a career maybe it's when they started a family and things can get hectic things can get a little crazy and you stopped asking some of those questions you stopped pursuing jesus and maybe your purpose suddenly started becoming just well how can i improve my golf score Maybe you're busy trying to be famous. Maybe you're busy just having fun. You're busy impressing other people around you. And all of a sudden you get distracted and you stop the journey of faith before you get to the end. I want you to, that's not wise. And that's not what a wise woman or a wise man will do. A wise person will go, you know what? I've gotten off track I'm going to get back to pursuing Jesus. And what a gift you can give yourself and give to the Lord when you go, you know what, it's time for me to focus on Jesus again. And this Christmas, instead of veering off on a path that is really not wise, to veering and going back and choosing a road that many don't always travel, of choosing the wise road of falling Jesus, of pursuing and seeking the truth. Jesus is that truth. You see, what made them wise? They came for the right reasons. A lot of people today, they want to use Jesus. They want to use Jesus. Um, and you see that when Jesus saved you, it says that we were bought with a price. And the attitude in which 
the Apostle Paul had was that he was a slave for Christ. That, God, I'm going to follow you and do what you've called me to do. It's not about me anymore. It's about you. You see, you serve at his command, not vice versa. You exist for him. God does not exist for you. God is not a vending machine. A lot of people want to use God and not love him. Politicians will use God to try to gain votes. They'll use Jesus' word, God, or whatever, the Bible, and they'll try to get votes. Business leaders will use Jesus to get God's blessing on their business. Marketers will use Jesus to sell their products. Military will use Jesus to justify wars. We use Jesus all the time to justify our self-centeredness and to meet our needs. We want to use him, but we don't always want to love him. These men, these wise men, they came to worship him. That's it. They came to worship him. Now, God... He does love his children. He's clear in his word that he loves to give his children's gifts. He loves to meet his children's needs. He does that for us. And those are blessings in which he gives. But when our focus is, I'm going to worship God, I'm going to serve God so I can see what I can get out of God. Um. You may just have in your mind, I'm just going to try this Jesus thing, and we'll just kind of see how it benefits me. They want to use Jesus. But see, a wise woman, a wise man, comes to Jesus and realizes that they deserve, they deserve death and hell, that we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve God's grace. But because God is love, he has shown grace and mercy and has offered it to all of us despite what we deserve. And he's willing to save anyone who will humbly repent and put their faith and trust in Christ. They came for the right reasons. We have come to worship him. Maybe you came this morning because tradition. Not a bad tradition, it's a good tradition. Maybe you came this morning, someone invited you, wonderful. Maybe you came this morning because your mom or your parents or your spouse has been hounding you, at least Let's at least try to go for Christmas. And I'm glad you're here either way. Don't get me wrong. But a wise man, a wise woman, has come this morning to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you truly want to be wise, you'll worship him as well. You see, they gave Jesus the best they had. They didn't give Jesus leftovers. They didn't give him some worthless item from the dollar store. They didn't give him a last-minute gift card. They put some serious thoughts into their gifts. Now, we see three gifts. Now, the Bible doesn't say how many wise men there were. There could have been 20. There could have been 12. I have no idea. We tend to assume there was only three, because probably for, because of two reasons. One, there's three gifts, and there's only three wise men in the nativity scene, usually in our homes and out front. Makes perfect sense. Probably because the one with four was more expensive. But the first gift was gold. Gold is a gift for kings. 
In all of antiquity, if you were to go to see a king, you brought him a tribute of gold. It was for kings. Here's the king of kings. God has become flesh. It also was a way in which God, the Father, was providing for Mary and Joseph. They were getting ready to head to Egypt to escape Herod. And God knew they would need money to go there and then to come back later on. You see, as well, they brought frankincense. Frankincense was an incense used to used in the temple to worship God. They're saying this little baby was no mere baby. We know we've come a long way. We've come to worship him. It says frankincense was showing symbolically this is God, worthy of worship. The third gift is a little bit unusual. It would be a strange baby gift item. In fact, if any woman who was having a baby shower would be in shock when they opened it up and they see myrrh. It's a spice that was used in antiquity to embalm dead bodies. So it would be like going to, going to a baby shower modern day and they're like, you know what, we thought ahead and we bought your child a casket. That would be really weird. But that's what they brought. It was as these wise men were saying, we know He's here. He was born to die for our sins. See, Jesus did not come to earth to live. He came to earth to die for our sins so we could experience grace, mercy, and one day experience heaven so we could have a new life. And even before Jesus had spoken his first word, people knew he had come to die. They were presenting in the frankincense the gift that symbolized the gift that would eventually be the cross. I have three children and you always get some great illustrations out of kids, but, but it was a couple years ago. I think, I think my youngest was five or six years old, and we're getting ready for Christmas, kind of like how many of you are today. And my youngest asked, okay, so I learned in kids' church that Christmas is Jesus' birthday. We're celebrating his birthday. We're getting gifts. What is Jesus getting? It's like, you deep little thinker, thinker, all right, that's good. That's good, you little theologian. And imagine just that, that you were to go to a birthday party, 100 people were invited, you showed up, and everyone received a gift, but no one brought a gift for, G, for, the, for the birthday boy. And so here's the question. We see what, what made the wise men wise, but here's another question. What should I give Jesus? What does Jesus want from you on his birthday? Three things. One, give him your trust. Give him your trust. Faith is a voluntary matter. Jesus doesn't have your trust unless you give it to him. He's never going to force it. So here's the question, do you really trust God? I'm not saying if you believe in God, do you really trust God? In your words, in your actions, the way you speak, the way you serve, the way you give, are you really trusting him? So as you go into 2024, are you trusting God when it comes to, maybe it's your job, are you trusting God I mean, when it comes to your health, 
Are you trusting God when it comes to your finances? Are you trusting God when it comes to your family? We need to trust God, especially there's so many things out of our control that we can't help, that we can't change. That's why we need to trust him. How many of us are struggling deeply? And there's different reasons. There's not just one reason, but how, much, how many of us are, are carrying the weight of anxiety in our lives because we simply do not trust God? And I know it's not as simple. It's more complex oftentimes than that in our lives. But there's probably some of us that our biggest issue when it comes to our stress in our life is, well, we're, we're not trusting him. We're not trusting him. You see, here's the other thing is that what should you give Jesus? Give him first place in your life. In every aspect of your life. Not just first on the list, number one, Jesus. Number two, my job or my family. Or number three might be your health. Number four may be this or that. However you have it set up. The thing with Jesus, the thing with God, is that he wants preeminence in every aspect of your life. See, there are some people who have in their mind that I'm going to walk the Christian walk, I'll do the Christian thing, I'll say the right Christian things on Sunday, but when I get to work on Monday, that is work me, right? That is work Lucas or work this. Like that's, I'm a, that's a different version of me. You're not going to like this. It's not how Jesus works. In fact, Jesus wants preeminence in all things. It's really Jesus in my workplace, Jesus in my health, Jesus in my finances, Jesus in every aspect of my life. He wants all of it. Listen, God's a jealous God, and he's not interested in sharing you with anybody else. So does he really have first place? That is a gift that you can give him this Christmas. He doesn't want to share you. He's not interested. He's not interested. And so the Bible is very clear. You shall have no other gods before me. You won't have any other idols. What is God saying out of the Ten Commandments? I'm not interested in sharing you with anybody else. Here's the last one. Give him your heart. We're challenged in Scripture to worship God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. How do you know if you really have given your heart to Jesus? Jesus is very clear about this. He says, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Whatever costs cost you, it's what you're going to value. And whatever you have put out for financially, you're going to value. Whatever you spend your time in, investing in, you're going to value. And only you can answer this question. Does God truly have your heart? Do you truly love, do you truly love the Lord? And if you do,
He has all of it. And this Christmas, this Christmas, what will you give Jesus? Give him your trust. Give him first place. Give him your heart. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for my salvation. That because of grace, because of what you came to do and dying on the cross for my sin, taking my place, that we can be forgiven, that we can be made right with you. And as we live in a world that has wars and rumors of wars, as we live in a fallen, broken world that is messed up, that at times we may feel powerless to change. I know there's power in your name. And Lord, I know that you continue to seek and to save that which is lost. And you continue to seek to forgive and to save those who are far from you. And maybe there's someone watching or someone here this morning that is far from you and they don't feel worthy. My friend, the reason you don't feel worthy is because none of us are worthy. Not a one of us. But God chose to love us anyway. And I want you to know that you can be forgiven, that you can be saved, and you can be changed here this, this Christmas season. Would you like to give your life to Christ? If so, just pray with me. Pray, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I'm putting my faith and trust in you. From this moment forward, I'm going to serve you with all my heart, soul, and mind. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen.